Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, the founder of influencer marketing and branded content agency, Hollywood Branded. This podcast provides brand marketers a learning platform for top experts to share their insights and knowledge on topics which make a direct impact on your business today. While it is impossible to be well-versed on every topic and strategy that can improve bottom line results, my goal is to help you avoid making costly mistakes of time, energy, or money, whether you are doing a DIY approach or hiring an expert to help. Let's begin today's discussion. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. I'm delighted to be here with you all today. I want to give a very warm welcome to Keith Steckler, who is the Vice President and Group Director for Digital at MKTG. He's joining us to discuss his 14 years of experience in digital marketing. Since 2016, Keith has been responsible for all of MKTG's digital work and a staff of 15. And previously to that, Keith led the digital strategy for the healthcare division over at CDM New York, working with Pfizer, Novartis, and other brands. Before that, he was hired to help build the digital offerings at Fleshman Hillard, New York. And he's also worked across eight Procter & Gamble brands at Publicis, New York, as well as on the Harley-Davidson and Subaru accounts at Carmichael Lynch in Minneapolis. Today, we're going to talk about influencer marketing as true brand partnerships and not just an amplification of the brand. We'll learn what has worked from Keith's experience, what maybe could be avoided if you're doing this yourself and not working with an agency to represent your brand, and where other brands are missing the mark. Keith, welcome. Hey, Stacy, Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we're very happy to hear from you today, and I am always so enthused to have someone who has deep influencer marketing expertise because I love chatting about this subject. And what I'd love to do is have you start off telling us a little bit more about you, how long you've been doing what you do, what your background is, where you're at, what got you to where you're doing, what you're doing today, and what you think you're going to be doing in the future. Sure. Okay. Um, this is my 14th year in um, advertising and marketing. I've only worked at ad agencies. I did not know that that's what I wanted to do, but sort of fell into it by way of a um, really great internship in um, my last semester of college and started my career in account management. And sort of as I progressed and worked for larger agencies, realized the different departments and aspects of an agency. And so I got into brand planning and strategy, and then that became digital strategy. And so I think since 2008 or so, um, or so the last 10 years, I've been focused in digital, which then transitioned to social. Um, and I've been working within those two mediums exclusively for probably the last 10 years. And currently, you know, at MKTG, I'm focused in sports and entertainment and a lot of properties like that. So it's a fun thing day in and day out. We do a lot of, you know, content marketing, social, digital, whether it's, you know, web or app or um, influencer partnerships, talent negotiations, so a lot of different things, but all things really content at the end of the day. So it's been a lot of fun. And you're on the show to talk specifically about influencer marketing because you told me you love that subject. And what makes it to you so killer that brands and agencies really need to be considering using it if they're not already? Well, I love it because I think it's taken such a, a quick, um, you know, growth and certainly a, an equally quick change. It was once, um, and, and admittedly not a great practice, where, where brands and people were looking for just people with high follower accounts, thinking that it was another way to amplify or they were likening it to, you know, placing a print ad in a People magazine, if you will. So I'm getting a lot of impressions. Um, and so that's still practiced today, sadly. And I think that's what we're trying to counsel 
brands and people away from is, is start to form true partnerships. But I love it just because of how quickly it's taken shape and how it's still very much the Wild West with the FTC regulations and, and people just thinking that they're not going to get cracked down on when they post something that's clearly a partnership. So there's still so much to do and, and so much to mold. And, and I enjoy working on it day in and day out very much for those reasons. Well, and I also love it because it's one of the fastest marketing practices that can actually get results and get going versus something that might take quite a long time to develop and, and coordinate and arrange. Yeah, and I, I remember, I think it was a study last year, they were, they were saying for every dollar spent influencer marketing, a brand's making around six or seven. So mm -hmm. I think that's really what has driven marketers to you know, look into it, but certainly by way of channels like Instagram and YouTube and everything else. Um, you know, these big major influencers was once the draw. And I think now we're looking more towards micro influencers or really anybody that you may know who just has a passion for something who could talk credibly about it. Um, a lot of times we're building campaigns around those people, too. So the scale is just, you know, on equal parts of the ends of the spectrum, depending on what project you're doing and what would make the most sense for it. And when you're working with influencers, are you typically looking at opportunities to build larger partnerships or are you looking at more one hit wonders and they're posting and sharing content that they've created just a single time? Well, it depends. I think we, we want to stay away from, you know, the one hit wonders, as you mentioned, unless it makes clear sense. If it's a specific project and we need a very specific person and we may not do that project again, then yes, at the end of the day, it may be that we worked with somebody once, but that certainly wasn't our intent. I think we look to make you know, significant partnerships, whether that's length of contract or length of the term that they're gonna work with us. And that's really because we've seen such great return on investment. We've seen you know, these influencers go well above and beyond the scope because we've treated them well, we've brought them in as a brand partner, they're collaborating, they're co-creating content with us. And they're not just this end marketing vehicle of, hey, we're, we're the smart people at the agency. We've got it all figured out. Now you go and amplify this thing. That's not what it should be. Um, so we're finding that's really where our focus is and where we've seen a lot of success. Yeah, I think that a lot of people think that influencers are literally what you said earlier. They are the magazine and they're serving as an outlet only. And they forget the fact that these are creative individuals who are actually crafting the content. They're directing it. They're producing it. They're starring in it. They're copywriting it. They're doing all sorts of different things along the lines of actually developing true content in partnership for that brand. Right. And, and I think you know, for me, the, one of the most obvious benefits of long-term partnerships um, is that there's this trust created between this person or these people and the brand. You know, I think as influencers devote more posts, um, Instagram videos, whatever it might be, to a specific company, then they're following, you know, that they, they see that. They see that this is much more visible. It's not just one post. It's a series of posts. Maybe they are introducing this collaboration that's going to be an ongoing effort with this brand. But it looks much more um, genuine and there's a stronger connection to the brand. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, last year, the whole buzzword was authenticity. So I'll bring that up again. But 
you know, as followers and as fans of this person, we, we want for, you know, the influencer's content to be authentic. That's one of the ways to do it by having this ongoing partnership where it's very clear to this person's fans and followers that they've entered some type of long-term agreement and they seem to be treated very well by the brand. And, and therefore this, it's not just this pop of, they're just, they're renting my feed. That's certainly not what this should be about. Can you share any case studies or examples of projects you've worked on that you've had a lot of fun with that you think, you know, an influencer has really shown great partnership with a brand? Yes. So we, um, we worked with a telecommunications brand. And like I said, we work a lot in sports and entertainment. So um, with one of the sporting seasons, we had a I would call her a micro influencer. And, and of course, with most things as, as they work with us and work with other brands, they just elevate their career. But at the time, relatively small um, person who had a significant following, but a very specific following. And what we did, given that it was a uh, telecom brand, and I think you can do this no matter what brand you are, is think about what sort of benefits or value in kind you can give this influencer beyond just um, payment. So in this case, it was a free phone for the year, free service for the year, plus, you know, the contract that we arranged for her. And so we had a very specific contract, a very specific amount of appearances, a very specific amount of content that we would generate. But knowing we had a, a one-year arrangement with her, we sort of thought about her for other things as they came up organically. And so separate to that, we produced a concert for that same brand. But, you know, we thought of this influencer as, hey, why don't we fly you out? Why don't you co-create content with us at this concert? And of course she was into it and yes, it was incremental, but she was very favorable in terms of negotiating that deal with us because we had already gone out on a limb and signed a 12 month deal with her. And so what was to be, let's say 80 posts are well over a hundred. And so the ROI on that is just really high because she really cared and she really went above and beyond. But I also think it was because, you know, our team, looked out for her and made sure that we did right by her. And I think the length of that contract allowed us to be very flexible in some, um, you know, things that popped up organically that we thought she might be a good fit for. That's awesome. And how did your telecom client repurpose her content? Did they reshare it through their own social channels? Did they extend the life of the content in any other way? Cause we've seen that a lot of brands are, experienced in just the general world that sometimes the campaign stops with the influencer and doesn't actually get taken on by the brand side to extend it and build legs under. Right. And I think to me, that's really the definition of that whole rent to feed approach. If, if you're only thinking about the content living on the influencers channels, you know, that's not, it's not a really good approach unless it's a channel that you as a brand don't have a presence. We did this for a while when, Snapchat was first coming out and every brand was thinking, oh, I need to have a presence on Snapchat. And that may not be true. Um, and so we want to help you understand if your audience is, is on Snapchat or whatever the platform in question is. But one way to put your content on a platform that you don't have a presence is to do that through an influencer. And so I guess I would just say it's, it's based on use case. And so if your goal is we'd like to have our branded content on Snapchat, but we ourselves don't have a brand channel, work through an influencer and then a hundred percent of that content on that platform goes through the influencer. But in general, you want it to be pretty diversified and have a nice cadence between the influencer, the brand and, and their specific channels. In the case of what 
you know, the example I was talking through, yes, it was a mixture of her channels, the brand channels. Um, we also did some promoted stuff with some other influencers. And then naturally, as we're getting her involved in content with other people, whether that's, you know, other athletes, other musicians, you know, those people's feeds we put content on. So it's a good mix. And if you go, if you go into this absent of any idea of where the content's going to live or even a formal content calendar, you know, that's certainly a miss. You want to treat this like any form of marketing and really plan it out to make sure that, you know, you've approached it the right way. You've got, what if, what if this content does really well, what are we doing next? Or what's the video we might've already shot that's in the can and we're holding it to release it if things go very well. And then what if it's not, what's, what's the one thing or multiple things you're going to do to, to drive that engagement if that one video you thought was going to perform very well does not. And then do you all ever also include boosting of the content that you're having your influencers do so that you're either whitelisting or you're giving additional dollars to that influencer to ensure more eyeballs? Or are you hoping and praying that, you know, whether the algorithms just are friendly to you that day, that it's going to get out to enough of that influencer's audience on its own? Yeah, no, great question. Certainly you want to incorporate paid. I think it depends on, again, back to that content calendar, what's the best use? You certainly could put paid across everything, and I would say that that's fine. I think, you know, organic, as we're seeing, is you know, organic content is really, um, I don't want to call it dead, but it, it pretty much is, depending on the platform. So I would say the best case is to put paid on everything, but strategically, if we're doing an event around, you know, a big um, sporting event, it's going to take a lot to cut through the clutter. So in that way, we definitely want to have paid. But if it's something where we're announcing a partnership or it's something that's not hitting a specific time in a calendar where we feel like we're going to have a lot of competition, we may try and see how that performs organically. But, you know, certainly with if we're talking Twitter and whitelisting, you want to plan for that in advance. You want to make sure that that person's agreed to it and you're ready to go so that you could but paid behind it um, quickly. It, you know, that process takes a while if you haven't sorted that out in the beginning. And for all of you listeners who don't know what whitelisting white listing is, and I guarantee there's a lot of you who don't because it's not a common topic that most people chat about, it's really just about the influencer opening up channels to allow your brand to have rights to pay and put dollars behind their platform. Um, so that's just something that you should keep in mind that you can do versus just giving additional dollars for them to do it themselves. Keith, what are some of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to understanding influencer marketing in your opinion? I think brands look at it as just pure amplification. And, you know, if I want to, if I want to put out a video and I want to get X number of, of hits and, you know, sadly, we're still taking briefs where people are asking to go viral. I mean, this is, you know, legitimately still things that we're combating in the year 2019. But influencers have been seen, um, I think, a little bit unfairly as one way to just purely amplify something, have no real connection to the brand. And it's a way for me to generate enough views on something. And so that is what we try not to do. But I certainly think that that's what um, a lot of the market thinks. I don't know if you watched the uh, Firefest docs on either Hulu or Netflix, but I think if somebody does, regardless of if they work in this industry or they're just interested in music, it would be a very good um, learning opportunity to see how they marketed this because 
they really did influence her well where they misstepped is they had all these models make it look like organically they wanted to be part of this music festival when in theory they were being paid. And so none of them were disclosing their affiliation with Firefest, and then the FTC got involved, and I think rightfully so. But in, if you look at that, I think they did a really good job of influencer marketing. They just fell short at the, uh, at the last 10-yard line using a, a football analogy. No, absolutely, and it's a really great documentary and just the story in general. And I think the influencers learned themselves something from this. So it used to be that, People didn't want to reveal that there was an ad. You know, now the FTC requires it. You have to do a hashtag. You have to do a sponsored. You have to do it above the fold. You have to make sure people know that. But for an influencer, it's like, oh, maybe I don't want to share. Maybe I don't want to say that this ad, I don't want to come across as being so money-based. All of these models who were involved in the festival, they now look like they were organically, authentically endorsing something. And they could have actually safeguarded themselves a little bit if they'd had the hashtag ad, hashtag sponsor, and been able to put a little bit of separation in between them. Don't you think, Keith? No, absolutely. I think that's where, you know, the team behind Firefest, I mean, they made a number of mistakes, but as, as it relates to just influencer marketing, that was the largest that I think, whether it was ego or they just wanted to market it in a way where a consumer would think that these models just thought, wow, this is the biggest event of the year and of course I'm going. You know, that was their failure. They, they should have and could have, to your point, just disclosed it. And I don't think there would have been any negative repercussion from that. I still think followers of these models and, and whoever else they enlisted would have um, still been equally as interested in Firefest um, if they had known it was an ad. Yeah, 100%. Are there any other misconceptions that you can think of when it comes to uh, thinking about influencer marketing? I think an understanding of of the value. And I, I would say that on both sides, I think brands, some brands don't understand, you know, why things cost a certain way. And, and we could have that discussion about other things beyond just influencer marketing, but I think they feel like, well, it, it's just a tweet or it's just an Instagram post, you know, why, why is it valued at that? And so there's oftentimes a lot of back and forth on that. I also think, um, you know, coming at it the other way, I think a lot of influencers um, are charging way too much and potentially pricing themselves out of things. But I also understand that it's important to them, it's their brand, and they can treat it however they want. I just think there's always this, you know, dance, as I'm sure you do, with, you know, the brand and the influencer and, and trying to get to the right number. Um, but I think it's going to take a while. I think, or at least I attribute it to that, it's so new, a lot of brands and marketers just don't know how to put a value on it, don't really know what the return on investment is, and so... I think they're not willing, some are not willing to, to spend what I think is um, the right number to do what they want to do within influencer marketing. If a brand comes to the table and they come to you and say, hey, Keith, we're interested in building out an influencer marketing campaign. Uh, we have this product we're launching and we're changing these things up. What realistically is the very minimum number? And, and I'm not saying Fortune 500 companies here. I'm just saying... Uh, company that's been out there for a few years, what do you think is the minimum spend that they need to plan for in order to concept and develop out an influencer marketing campaign and launch it? I think it depends on how long. 
you know, I mean, are we talking, it's a quarter, it's six months, it's a year. I think it varies based on the product and the opportunity. I think if we could go maybe monthly, that's one way to answer that regardless of, of length of time. Um, I would equate it a little bit like paid social. I mean, any number is going to move the needle up a little bit. Of course, the more you fund it, the better. Um, I think what we tell people within, you know, paid social is, even for something between ten and twenty thousand dollars a month, I think is going to, you know, do significant um, improvement in brand awareness and getting people to see your content. It just depends on um, what it is. I know a lot of, you know, there's there's sites where you can send out a brief to, you know, thousands upon thousands of influencers, and you set a price and. We don't do that, but I think if you wanted to and you wanted to just one day wake up and have 500 different people tweeting about your brand, you could probably pay each of them $50, $100, whatever it is. But the the point of influencer marketing being so new is I think everybody fancies themselves an influencer in some way, shape, or form. So there's always going to be somebody who's willing to take $25 to send out a tweet. I just don't think that's the best use of your money. Um, so I think in aggregate, you're probably talking about low thousands, but of course, anything beyond that would just be fantastic. Plus, you're also thinking about, you know, the people who are charging the $25 to post, that's not necessarily saying they're going to put so much time into developing the content. And that content takeaway is what's so fantastic about influencer marketing as well, so that you actually have something that's sculpted and created that is very genuine and unique that can be repurposed over and over if you do a partnership in the contract stating so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if we're talking a small brand or an established brand who may not be, you know, to your point, Fortune 500, whatever the level was, think about value and kind. Think about something that might be interesting. We do a lot of these deals all the time where working in sports and entertainment, uh, you know, this weekend, of course, is, is the Super Bowl. So, if we were to run an influencer marketing campaign in Atlanta for a brand that has Super Bowl um, affiliations or the ability to market around the Super Bowl, we may have an influencer come who can go to the game. You're talking about a bucket list opportunity and maybe I don't need to pay that person. So it depends on, you know, who the person is and what's valuable to them. Um, certainly, you know, currency and dollars work, but there's also these behind the scenes at um, concerts, at sporting events, at, whatever it is, as well as giving products. So there's a lot of ways to structure these deals to give compensation to the influencer beyond just financial. And when it comes to platforms, what's your take on good versus eh platforms with social media? Do you like Instagram? Do you like Instagram stories? Do you like Facebook? Do you like Twitter? Do you like Snapchat still? Yes, I like I like Snapchat, but purely for um, the AR function. I think they've done a lot with that, and I think this year they may do something you know pretty great with it as it relates to maybe shopping. Um, but I don't know so much you know influencer unless you're e-com or retail. Maybe you want to stay in Snap, but outside of that, I'm not sure. I do like Instagram. I do think something something's going to happen with Instagram this year. I just think the fact that the founders are gone. And Facebook is sinking their teeth even further into it. I don't know if that's going to be a positive outcome. Um, so something's going to happen. Potentially, it's involved with influencer marketing, where so much is happening within Instagram, and maybe the FTC is certainly or finally going to start regulating it. 
Um, so I, I, I see just something happening there. But yeah, we still like Instagram. We do like stories. There's ways to really treat Instagram like a full marketing campaign. Think about what you're posting to the grid or your profile and what separately but related you're posting to stories. And that could mean the finished photo or the finished video is on the grid and the profile and the behind the scenes is in the story. So here's what it took to make that piece of content or here's the influencer taking the, the phone and taking a selfie video of, of the fact that he or she is partnering with this brand. So there's so many ways to tell a comprehensive story on Instagram. Um, Twitter we love, YouTube we love too, um, but it's really about putting out content natively to those platforms. So if you are going to post something on Twitter, don't take me to Instagram, don't take me to YouTube. Um, very few people want to see the extended cut that lives on YouTube. It's just, it's going to take a lot for somebody to click off of the social network they're currently consuming your, your content on. And do you think that brands should work with the same influencer across multiple platforms or concentrate on the platform that the influencer is the strongest at? Um, I think it depends. I, I would certainly say let's work with the influencers channels um, where they could perform best, especially if we're talking about content creators, whether that's video, photo, you know, creative people who are in Instagram doing, you know, pretty creative things. We were early days, you know, when Vine was still a thing and we were working with influencers there, it was, it was supremely focused on the content creators, people that would make very engaging six second pieces of content. So of course, in that case, I wouldn't want to take that person off of their platform of choice or where they really built a career. You want to lean into that. But if it's right for the brand and we want to, you know, push certain channels, we've got to figure out a way to do that um, in a way that makes sense. If it's somebody who's really great um, on camera, naturally we want to use the channels that will, you know, highlight that. If it's somebody who's a really good speaker or a great writer or somebody who can think quickly, maybe we'll do like a Twitter ask me anything and they'll take over, you know, the brand's channel for a certain part of time. So. It just depends on who the person is, um, but naturally you want to lean into what they do really well. You don't want to push against that. And with influencers on Instagram, are you finding that some of them are more open and receptive to stories versus posting on their profile or on the campaigns are you doing that you're insisting on doing both profile as well as story if you're going to be doing stories? Yeah, it's certainly both. I think um, I want to say in Q4 of last year, high 70s, maybe 80% of people who were in Instagram in a visit were consuming stories. So that you know section of, of the platform has really taken off. So we certainly wanna have a mix. And But like I said, it's really based on the story that we're telling. If it makes sense to unfold through Instagram stories, then let's do that. Um, if, if it's something that should look finished and polished and hey, here's my work with brand whatever, that could live on the grid. Um, you also want to think about, and this is one potential pitfall people make, is, is in their contracts, they don't state how long that content should be up. Some influencers will remove that the second this deal is over and, you know, debatable and probably another 45 minutes we can spend on if that's the right thing to do. But just know that. And if you want this to live for a certain uh, period of time, make sure that you've contracted that. But, you know, back to partnering with influencers for a significant period of time, doing that allows an influencer to produce multiple posts in conjunction with this brand or company throughout the process. And so 
different content can come up on the grid, can come up on the story. And so it just allows for this, you know, nice mix of content throughout the, the campaign rather than, yeah, I, I posted my, my picture to the grid. I, I fulfilled my part of the contract. And we've also seen that if you don't have and experienced and learned from, if you don't have that length of time, the moment you pay that influencer, sometimes that content comes down within minutes. It's, it's shocking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I also think it affords the ability to really a B test. I mean, we don't talk a lot about that in social as much as we should. We, we did a lot when banners were still, were still a thing or web copy or whatever it is, but you know, if you're working with multiple influencers, you can have them post basically the same message. Let's see what performs well, and then let's fund the one that does. Um, different images, different looks. There's so many things you can do to test and then isolate what really was the thing that, that made the difference, and then let's continue to do that. So that's the benefit of long-term partnerships and the benefit of using a platform like Instagram as a whole platform and not just thinking about it as I have to post something finished to the grid. What can I do in stories? We don't use, you know, IGTV a lot, but certainly that's another element of Instagram that somebody can consider, you know, as a way to tell the, the story of this campaign. That's awesome. So what advice do you have to give brand managers who want to start trying influencer marketing? What do you think is the first steps they need to take to get that started? Well, it, it is the first step, but it's also potentially not something that's a short first step. You really have to find the right influencers. And sometimes that takes time, but once you find the right people, I think you'll find such success. And I know that I think it's, you know, two thirds or something along those lines of marketers who want to get into influencer marketing feel like they're struggling because they can't find the right influencers. And that can mean because the influencer comes with, you know, certain areas or tones or approaches or audiences that they have. And then that can be construed as like a selling point or a negotiation point that then becomes a drawback to brands because potentially that doesn't line up with the company's branding or their vision. So I can see why somebody may try it, find out it's, you know, they're getting discouraged and then they may stop. But, you know, the first step is really find out who and what type of content is going to be a fit for you and make sure you're spending the ample amount of time to get that short list because then I think it's easier for you to develop an influencer marketing program once you start to see the kind of people who could potentially be your influencers. When do you think a brand realizes that they are starting to seek success? Is it through the numbers? Is it through, and I hate it when brands say that this is what they want, but I'm still going to ask the question, through sales that are instantly triggered by, instant, uh, by influencers who are posting? What do you think the right measurement is that brands should be looking at to say, yes, this is successful? Is it the content, the amount of content? those direct response sales tracking that goes to a website and how much um, you know website traffic's increased what are those markers yeah i think it really depends on what your you know campaign is really all about are you looking to get video views are you trying to sell something are you trying to get awareness so it really depends on your kpi but you know we didn't talk a lot about that but i think that's potentially one benefit of using um, influencers, maybe ones on Instagram who have, you know, the certain threshold of 
a follower count that allows them to create, you know, that swipe up function within stories that could drive to a website. So that potentially is if, if you want to drive somewhere, or you want to sell something or you want somebody to land on a website, you want to be partnering with influencers who have the ability to do that within, in, within Instagram because not everybody does. So that could potentially be, be one lesson there. But no, it's really ultimately about what are your goals. I think for many of our programs, it could be about awareness. And so in that case, it's you know what sort of engagement took place on these content pieces, on these videos. What sort of comments did we get? Did the public, did her, did her fans or his fans understand what we were trying to do? Um, did they come away with a, a more favorable you know, uh, view of the brand. It, it really just depends. It's, it's not unlike any other form of marketing where you have to make sure you're clear on your goals and your objectives to know if you're being successful. And when it comes down to starting a program, you know, is this something that you suggest brand DIY it themselves and put together or that they do outreach to an agency and get some assistance with? I think if you're clear on what you want, it could be some time, but if you have, you know, the right people who have the right amount of time, you could potentially go at it on your own. I think the benefit of an agency or talking to somebody who works in this day in and day out is they have people they've worked with before, people they can recommend, people who are like, you know, that that profile, and they can get you a short list of people, and they can really help you quickly see if this is going to be something that works for you, because, you know, for not every action and not every brand is, is influencer marketing the solution. So I do think it's worth, even if it's a first meeting or a few couple of first meetings to get with an agency or somebody that does this to understand if this is going to be the right approach. And I also think they can help you feel a lot more comfortable about it. They can provide you, you know, more ideas on the, the kind of content that you might want to develop, the kind of influence you might want to partner with. I think a lot of brands think they know, um, but once we talk to them, talk to them some more, it's, you know, have you considered this vertical? What about, you know, what about somebody that sits in esports, for example? You know, that's a, a thriving community right now. Is that something that makes sense for you guys? So it really depends, but that's ultimately the benefit of, of speaking to an agency or someone that, that deals with this, is they can help you really shape this in a meaningful way. And what gets messy if you don't do influencer marketing right? It's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of coordination. It's a lot of approval of content, um, ensuring messaging is right. You're you're potentially, if, I mean, if we're just talking one influencer, maybe somebody would think that's manageable. I can do that on my own. But if you're if you're talking about a number of influencers across a certain period of time or in parallel with one another, it can get quite messy. To your point, I mean, there's a lot of coordination and logistics that I think that's the benefit of bringing on an agency is you're not dealing with one person. You're, you're dealing with a team of people. They're bringing in the right people for, you know, the right project, um, whether that's scale or the opportunity of the project. So it can get messy unless you're equipped with the amount of people and the amount of time to handle the logistics and work through the contracts and make sure you're not missing anything. And, you know, there's been plenty of times that we've, talk to influencers at a point in their career where I'm talking to their family member who is their quote unquote agent. And then you talk to them a year later and they have a real agent. So it just depends on who you're, who you're meeting with. And if you're comfortable, you know, talking to an influencer who's found some success and you're talking to their family member to negotiate the deal, maybe that's something you feel like you can do. And 
by all means, go ahead and do it. But, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. Well, to be fair, there's some really big celebrities out there who still have family members being their managers. So, you know. Great point. Celebrity dad sometimes is always playing a role in there until they have a falling yep. and breaking up. <laughs> keep, your, keep your circle tight. I get it. Yeah. So are there any asks by brands that come to you that just make you shudder and want to immediately say, ah, influencer marketing is just not for you? I think it's, you know, they get a idea of a celebrity, a musician, a somebody. And the question is, what would it take for that person to send a tweet? And I just don't know what the purpose of that is. Even if we agreed on a price, you know, what's the point? And it's a one tweet flash in the pan. Is anybody making a connection to your brand? Um, and we get that a, a good number of times um, throughout a week or a month or whatever it might be. And so that's when I really think, you know, I'm not sure that's the right approach. Let's talk to you about it. And what are you ultimately looking to achieve? I think a lot of brands want to align with a certain person because maybe they just like that person. Um, but they don't understand if, if it's worth the money and what that return on investment is going to be. Right. And I think a lot of people, when they come to you, just as they do with us, they come and say, oh, well, how much is so-and-so going to be? And they don't understand all of the different factors and that there's not actually you know, a standard media rate card for this world at all. Right. And I don't know if it's just the sheer follower count. So, you know, they know they can have this huge increase in, in engagement. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't often know. And I don't, I don't often know if they give us the real reason, but you know, that's typically the, the first sign of, you know, I'm not sure this is it. Let's, let's see if we can work this a different way because that's, that to me is not the best use of influencer marketing. And I want to make sure I understand what their objective is to help, you know, guide them in the right direction. And then, you know, this podcast all is all about marketing mistakes, how to avoid them. Are there any big mistakes you've seen brands make over the years with influencer marketing? We've seen it a lot, or at least I'm sure people have seen it a lot, where a, a, a copy or a line of copy will be sent, and either that influencer, their agent, their team, their whatever, passes along the info, and it just gets cut and pasted into that caption. Um, things like, hey, the agency has asked you to post the below, <laughs> please post at 10 a.m. All of that gets included in the Instagram caption. So now you have to be um, detailed. You have to have a certain plan. And, you know, when you see stuff like that, it just looks like somebody emailed at some you know, specific time what the copy had to be. Um, and then naturally either, you know, the, the value wasn't placed on, you know, that arrangement, or it just wasn't organized properly. But, you know, that's, that's the messy, as you alluded to, it can get messy, even down to the, the actual post. If there hasn't been enough communication, and people don't know when to expect the copy, or there isn't a content calendar that is being adhered to, or whatever you want to say. Um, but we see that a lot. And um, it's, it's typically when brands are trying to get in late on somebody or something to activate and, you know, an athlete or a celebrity is just juggling too many things at once. Yep. Or their uh, agent and manager is posting on their behalf. Yes, that as well. 
because <laughs> that happens frequently. Do you have any words of caution to a brand or an agency who wants to start actually even offering this type of service or uh, helping their clients get influencer marketing through other partners so that they can kind of help safeguard themselves? Sure. I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's hard to safeguard against everything, but you do have to give some consideration of, is this the right approach? Is using celebrity and talent and influencers the right approach for you? Meaning, if we sign somebody in six, eight, a year from now, you know, something comes out negatively about that person's career, is, is that going to have any association to you? Or are you going to be okay with that? I think you have to sort of sort those things out first to understand if this is the right approach for you. Um, every agency, us included, anybody that we know that works in the space tries to so diligently recommend people they think is going to be a good fit, but naturally things happen. These people are human. They say things. There is TMZ. So you just have to think about that and make sure you're comfortable with it and you have some plan in case you know the worst does happen. Are we going to rip down the content? Are we going to stop posting? You know, what are those contingency plans? So that would be my advice. It's a lot of planning. It really, if you've taken nothing, you know, from this conversation or anything else, it is not just find somebody that you think is going to push your brand and pay them money. It's really a lot of thought, a lot of planning, and, and a lot of coordination to make sure that you do this right with the right person or the right people. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen another marketing practice that is more like herding cats. I mean, that's what influencer marketing is. Yeah, it definitely can be, especially if you're working with a number of them on the same, you know, campaign or project. You have X number of contracts and X number of things to do. So, you know, with with added people, just, you know, comes added work and an added, you know, um, issue sometimes. So you just have to think about that as well. Maybe start out with one person, start out small. Um, start out with somebody who maybe organically already likes your brand and it would be thrilled to hear from you that you want to do a partnership with them. Maybe that's the right approach and dip your toe in it and see how you go from there. And how have you seen this marketing practice evolve over the years? How have you seen influencer marketing grow or change? It's really changed a lot based on the platforms. You know, I spoke a little bit about Vine earlier, but we were doing a considerable amount of work with, with influencers on that platform. And then, you know, that platform goes away. So some of them go to Instagram, some of them go to Twitter, some of them decide to go full on into video on YouTube. So it just really has changed a lot due to the platforms and then due to, you know, the additions and the changes that these platforms have. I mean, Instagram, when it first started is nothing like what Instagram is now. So it's it's given way to people to be creative in so many different ways and it's such a fun space but you know we're a bit um you know beholden to the people who create the content and the platforms they create them on are there any other ways brands and agencies can do influencer marketing better i think they have to think about not one lump sum going to one person and kind of spreading it out and having different people deliver different messaging because, you know, it's hard to get the right person. And as we saw with Kylie Jenner and the Pepsi ad, I mean, every, there's always going to be somebody that's polarizing to somebody else. So try to figure out if you can have a, a wide net of people who can appeal to different audiences and different consumers, maybe of your brand 
because one size fits all doesn't work and it certainly doesn't work for influencer marketing. Totally agree. And do you have any last bits of advice? I guess my advice would just be my recommendation to get started. And one of the things I like about digital and social is, is it doesn't have to be permanent, although in many cases it is because screenshots and screen grabs live forever. But if something isn't working or the video didn't come out right or the content that you thought this influencer was going to create wasn't up to par, you don't have to post it. You can delete something. You can edit something. So try it because I think, you know, you don't know until you start to get into it and start to feel more comfortable to really know if this is right for you. Awesome. And I know you and I were talking, you have a passion project that involves schools. How can our listeners help you a little bit out here? I do. Yes. Thanks for bringing it up. Like I said, I've been in the industry about 14 years. This is my 14th year. And I think I kind of had a a moment last year where I just felt like, you know, I've gotten to a certain point in my career and I want to start sending the elevator back down, if you will. And, you know, what can I do to help? Um, I've always been somebody who will answer an email. We'll take five minutes. We'll meet you for coffee or a drink or whatever it is so I can help you think through a job offer or an agency or whatever it might be. So that wasn't changing. But what I thought I wanted to do was focus more on schools and universities and Skype in the classrooms, prepare presentations, talk to students, just let professors know that I was open to collaborate with them, whether that was on their syllabus or, you know, I know a lot of them are seeking funding on certain um, projects or programs. And if I could help there, I'd like to Um, currently sit on a board at Rutgers University and RIT in New York. And so I'm looking for other opportunities, other professors, teachers, instructors to collaborate with, because I'd certainly like to talk to you, would certainly like to help your programs, and would like to tell you some of the things that we're doing in in the agency world that I hope I could help, you know, some students get better prepared for. Awesome. And so how can people get in contact with you? Twitter is really the easiest because my handle is so short. It's just Keith S, K-E-I-T-H-S. So if you can find me there, my website is linked and you're welcome to DM me or at me there. But if you prefer to go through my website, you'll find my email, you'll find my LinkedIn. So however you're comfortable connecting there. But I think the easiest gateway due to my uh, very long and too many, um, you know, vowels in my last name is to find me on Twitter. I don't know. I figured that you actually just were a very sound digital marketing expert. And the fact that you scored Keith S. on Twitter. I mean, that's pretty phenomenal. Well, it didn't start like that. I had my entire name and I saw who had Keith S. And I saw they went a few months without tweeting. And then I know that with Twitter policy, if they go a year, it's a dormant account and I can take it. So I put a calendar invite a year from that day. And um, lo and behold, they hadn't tweeted in a year. So um, I, in, the, in the business of what I'm in, I have connections at Twitter, but I basically said, hey, this has been a dormant account. Can I have it? And took over it that day. I've been trying to get cheeseburger, but I've been, a, I've been in a pretty big battle with the person that owns that to get it. So I don't think I'm getting it anytime soon. <laughs> well, you did say you really like cheeseburgers and dogs. I do. I'm, I'm trying to lock up these handles and, and really take ownership of them. So I'm, I'm happy and fortunate to have Keith S. So I don't have to spell out my last name, but if, um, you know, cheeseburger, if you're listening to this, I, I love to talk. I want your handle as well. Awesome. Keith, thank you so much for being on today. I know I learned some things and our listeners absolutely learned as well. So really appreciate your advice and your time and 
looking forward to chatting in the near future. Absolutely. This was fantastic. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, again, thanks for having me on. Of course. We will chat later.